Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. In the city of Los Angeles, otherwise known as the City of Angels, some would say the City of Fallen Angels, but we won't go there. And from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. Typically, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org. Uh, and also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60, and number two out of CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for today. The four-letter word that will rock your world Kim Sorrell is the director of a humanitarian organization, popular speaker, and the author of two books. Her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. Oh, my gosh. Her second book, Love Is, chronicles her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love, sometimes funny, sometimes scary, sometimes uh, always enlightening, journey that led to the life-changing discoveries found mostly on the streets of Haiti. Wow. <laughs> but before we get into that, let me just thank my last week's guest, Glenn Dunweiler. He's a filmmaker, producer, and social en entrepreneur who focuses on socially responsible entertainment. And uh, a reminder, you can listen to that interview and all our interviews and the interview we're doing today on our caregiver website, uh, caregiverdave.com and of course on all the other 26 global and video platforms as well all right enough of that kim welcome to the caregiver dave show we're so excited to have you on dave i'm so excited to be here thank you so much i'm just uh, adjusting an ice pack on my buttocks because i fell in a parking lot about a week ago and bruised it and uh would have been healed by now, but I think I re-injured it when I bent over and picked up something heavy. It's not good when you're in the age group where I better not fall. You know, the, the group <laughs> usually my parents were in. I'm 68 mm -hmm. years old, and I still feel like I'm 18, but this body is just not cooperating. <laughs> you know, I know that feeling very, very well, and I would imagine sitting on the ice pack is a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can think of oh, words. That was bad. I just have to. Keep, <laughs> I just have to keep shifting and adjusting. So if you see me moving like that, that's what's happening. Well, right. I always like to ask my first-time guests here, Kim. Just who is Kim Sorrell, and why was she placed on this earth? Wow, that's a good question, Dave. Uh, I am the youngest of three. I have two mm. older brothers. So I am the only girl and the youngest in the family, which, by the way, is the best spot to be in a family. 
<laughs> and I know it's the best spot. I've always known it. And it is definitely the best spot. Um, you were the spoiled one, raised, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. I was raised in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, <sighs> West, West Michigan area, the area of Michigan that's not Detroit. And um, I don't know, played sports, coached, did a bunch of things, married kids, grandkids. And uh, grandkids, you're, that, you're that old, huh? World. I'm that old. Yes. Lots of grandkids, 11 of them. I used to have grandkids. Now I have great grandkids. Well, one, one, but more are on the way. I'm sure as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Likely. Yeah. So true. So how did your brothers treat you? How did um, my brothers? When you were younger. Sorry. Um, Not very well, actually. They, they weren't real good to me uh, growing up. I think they were jealous. They were jealous. They were jealous. That could be. That could be. But yeah. And we're all just one year apart. Like as in 12 months, one year apart. So it was a little nuts. Well, and I assume your relationships are uh, normalized now (laughs) over the years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They don't slug me in the arm anymore. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a mom. My, My mom. No, uh, um, you you I'm, are you are a mom and you have a family. I am a mom of five. Oh yeah, my. I have four sons and one daughter, and wow. yes, that's a lot of kids. That, that would make you a caregiver all by itself, you know. <laughs> no kidding, that's so true. Yeah, I have four biological kids. My oldest was four and a half when my fourth one was born. So wow, that's really grouped together. A little nuts. Maybe. Now they're older. You're going to have a lot of grandkids and you're mm-hmm. probably going to have a lot of great grandkids. Just warning yeah, you uh, in case you didn't already know that. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Sure, sure. So you're the director of humanitarian organization. Uh, tell us about your humanitarian organization. Well, it's a partnering organization, Rays of Hope International. So we work with people in their own country who have a passion, a vision, a mission to do something to help people in their own country and just need somebody to walk alongside. Mm. So they understand the culture, they understand the language, they understand the real need. Uh, we like to always mm. think that we know the number one need, but it's not necessarily true. So they just need somebody uh, to develop a business plan or they need supplies or some seed money for building or whatever it happens to be. Always with the idea of having a plan for self-sustainability so they're not always chasing dollars. So schools, water projects, um, medical clinics, all kinds of things. So you kind of did it backwards because most caregivers went from caregiver to care receiver because, you know, 30% of them uh, actually die before their loved ones do. Many more become sicker than the ones they're caring for, eventually needing a caregiver of their own being hospitalized. But you actually went from receiving care <laughs> to giving care when you, you and your husband were just, what, a few months apart with your cancer diagnosis? Is that what I read? Right. Four months apart. Right. I had breast cancer and my yeah. husband had pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. Yeah. So explain what that was like, uh, because I assume he was caring for you when you had your cancer, right? Yeah, he sure was. And doing a good job of it, actually. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, yes. And anytime you get that word thrown at you, it's a scary thing, right? Cancer, no matter what kind or what it is. And, and so, uh, 
it was interesting. Like I, I went to the bookstore. It's the first place I went after a three o'clock in the afternoon phone call on a Friday. When, so I couldn't call the doctor back telling me that I have cancer. And I uh, went to the bookstore and everything was either medical or depressing. And so I started writing then, actually. Uh, it was very therapeutic for me. But I wanted to know, what does it really feel like? Like, what choices do you have to make? What do you go through? Like, I didn't know anything about it. It was all so brand new, like it is to most people, I think. Yeah. And there are a lot of choices. There are a lot of things. Like, um, uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but you did ask me about something earlier that you're editing out. So maybe. But I... Uh, one of the choices I had to make was in surgery to have one or, or both sides removed. Uh-huh. And I was sitting around the dinner table with my family and talking about it, that I had to make this decision and not sure what to do. And one of my sons said, Mom, would you get new siding on just half the house? <laughs> and I thought, oh, good point, son. Good point. Two it is, then two it is. Yeah, so it lowers uh, your risk too. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm glad that I did it for sure. How old and was I had he a great when he said that? Uh, he was probably 22. He was, okay. yeah, a little bit older, but yeah, but he's always been funny. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then right away, though, after I was diagnosed, within a couple of weeks, my husband started having stomach issues. Oh, and no. went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, take some Tums, you know, it's because of your wife. And then went to the doctor that was in September, went to the doctor again in November, was told the same thing. But then he did make an appointment at a gastro guy and uh, and that doctor said the same thing, too. And so I woke up one morning and he was awake and in pain and. I said, that's it. You're going to the emergency room because I'll at least run a test and figure out what's going on. And so he did. And uh, that's it took a few days, but that's when we got his diagnosis. So right. well, what, what did you think? Because you were still going through your cancer treatments, right? Right. Tell me what was going through your emotions. I mean, did you panic? Were you scared? Uh, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> Well, it's interesting. My father-in-law had passed two years uh, before my husband uh, was diagnosed. Mm. And he was actually diagnosed two years almost to the day before my husband was diagnosed. So with the same cancer, with pancreatic cancer. So we had just been through pancreatic cancer. So we had more understanding. And one thing that we understood was it's a terminal illness. They can't really do anything for it. And, uh, but the doctor was optimistic, thought that he'd live, you know, a year or better because he was young and healthy. I was only, I was 47. He was 51 at the time. And so we thought we had some time. And so we had, I just kind of put everything for me on hold because I was at a place where things were okay for me and I still had things to do, but figured I would wait until the timing seemed better and seemed right. And we had great care for my husband right away because he was in pain. So hospice came in right away uh, and, and got him out of his pain. And we ended up having just a great six weeks together. 
Uh, and But our, our prayer from the very beginning was either get them healed, you know, like the lame and the blind and the sure. deaf, you know, whatever back in the day, or heaven, I believe in heaven, and it sounds like a pretty cool place, but don't let them suffer. We didn't want them to suffer. Quality of life. And our, yeah, and our prayer was answered. Uh, we had a great six weeks, and it wasn't until the last hour of his life that we knew things took a turn for the worse. And and um, he was in a great deal of pain. And I called the hospice nurse, and she came right over and gave him some more morphine and and. He was sitting on the edge of the bed, kind of rocking because he was in so much pain. And I could just tell he was miserable. And I just whispered in his ear and I just said, baby, just go. And that was it. He took his last breath right then. Well, so sorry. You know, I always give the analogy. I says, you know, uh, there's even a chapter in my book, uh, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. If you knew you were going to die and you only had a week or a month or a day to live, what would you do? You know, what would you do differently? I mean, on, on August 31st, 1996, when my wife and I went to bed, I had no idea that she would not be able to speak again in the morning and, or ever, you know? Uh, and, and if I'd have known that, how would Elias, how would we have spent that day? You know, because life is so fragile and you don't know. I mean, he was healthy one minute, taking care of you. And the next minute, you know, he's got this terminal illness that's going to take his life in six weeks. Um, I'm so glad that you were able to spend six weeks of quality time. What, what kind of things did you do during those six weeks that made it so beautiful? <laughs> well, we watched Cash Cab. That was fun. That's fun, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we had a couple. Who has time to do that, that right? <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, talked a lot, played cards. Um, basically, we were just together. Kind of and the stuff he, you do when you're on a date, huh? Yeah, yeah, kind of that stuff. Kind of the stuff that we did anyway. Yeah. But twenty four seven, we were together all the time, and yeah. he really didn't want me to go anywhere like even to the grocery store or whatever. So one of my kids would run to the store, whatever we needed. And uh, so I, I was just with him so we could just be together. We went, we went out to the movies a couple of times, like an afternoon movie. That was fun. Um, cool. But it was just being together. Yeah. And of course, you'll be with him again one day. Right. <laughs> In right. heaven. So... Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for caregivers from a care receiver's perspective? Because sometimes a caregiver, you know, especially with dementia and stuff like that, uh, they don't try to put themselves in the other person's place. And so maybe they're a little impatient. Maybe they're a little, you know, um, short if they're frustrated with something or they don't have time. Uh, what's your perspective on that? Well, you know, I think that nobody really wants to be a care receiver. Mm -hmm. we, we don't really want to be in that place. And so I think people, care receivers can get a little ornery maybe from time to time or uh, whatever, or, or not, not accept help well. 
because we're used to doing everything on our own. And then all of a sudden we need help and that's foreign to us. So it's, it's foreign to people that are being cared for. So it makes for an interesting dynamic then with a caregiver, right? Because a caregiver also probably doesn't want to be a caregiver. They're wishing that their person was healthy and well and all, all was fine. So they're not happy that they're in that position either. So you have two unhappy people, one receiving and one giving. And I think you, the best advice I can give is to find that happy place. Recognize that it's not easy for either one of you. It's a, it's a tough time and it's, it's not what you choose. Like I wouldn't have chosen to have cancer. You wouldn't have chosen for your wife to pass away. I wouldn't have chosen for my husband to pass away. She's actually still here with life. us. We've been oh, going, oh, been going through this for 25 years and she has a great attitude. Oh, she just God. kind of reinvented herself says, well, God hasn't taken me yet. He's not done with me. So, I mean, for the last 25 years, she's been uh, making all us normal people like whiners and complainers. You know, she still does the, the cleaning and the cooking and, and the decorating and all the things she did before, but with one arm and one leg tied behind her back in essence, because she's paralyzed on one side and she lost her ability to speak, but she can communicate through Pictionary and charades to games. I, I hate, but I'm learning to love, but some, <laughs> you know, she, she wanted to die many times. And, and in fact, you know, she is, says I'm ready to go anytime God, you know, uh, cause she's been living in this broken body for 25 years, but she's such an encouragement to anyone who meets her. But uh, yeah, that's a long haul. I, I think if she haul. had a if she had her druthers, I think she would have, you know, wanted to leave. But life, she has a good quality of life. You know, we travel the world, uh, speaking on stages and uh, on television, and so not so bad. So I interrupted yeah, you. That's Go amazing. On. That's amazing, and, and you know, it she obviously amazing. found her happy spot, right? Like. Um, the, those are the choices that we can make. We can choose to live. We can choose how we're going to live. We can choose yeah. to be happy. So embrace the choices you can make. And yeah, so many people in her position have just chosen to curl up and, you know, basically be miserable and wait, wait for the death angel to come and get them, you know, and she's just living her life. And she just always has a smile on her face and always encourages people. And, um, you know, I, uh, God that's bless awesome. I don't know if I mm-hmm. would be able to do that. <laughs> and I guess that's why I'm not in that position. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a strong, wonderful, powerful woman. Yeah. We've been married uh, 47 years. Wow. Congratulations. Well, that's thank you. Awesome. So uh, a lot of people talk about, uh, well, first let me ask you, how long ago did your husband pass away? Um, it will be, 13 years and oh it was just 13 years 13 years i have i have to tell my dog to be quiet hey quiet (laughs) (laughs) um so a lot of caregivers after they're not caregivers anymore and i'm you've got two things going on one is is your spouse you know so that's that's devastating right there but um many spouses say i will never marry again you know like I'm a one man woman or a one woman man. And uh, were you able to find romance again in those 13 years? Uh, I am horrible at dating. I used to be very, very good at it. I used to 
walk into a party and go, mm, who am I going to let drive me home tonight? <laughs> I am not that way anymore. And so I have pity dated. I've dated for the wrong reasons. I've gone on one date knowing I shouldn't go on a second and gone anyway. And I, what is I a, just what is, a, what is a pity date? I'm sorry for interrupting. Well, like there was somebody I was dating that was having all these family crises and I felt so mm -hmm. bad for him. And there wasn't really a time uh, to let him go because he was suffering. And so uh, I stuck around for him, you know, whatever. But yeah, so uh, I haven't been great at it. But also the pool is very shallow. <laughs> <laughs> I ask people, I'll ask people. Limb pickings, huh? They'll say, yeah, yes, limb pickings. They'll say, well, why have you found anybody? Why are you married? You know, why are you with somebody? And I'll say, do you know any good single men my age? And 100% of the time, the answer is no. 100% of the time. So that would be why I am still single. <laughs> and you tried the dating sites, of course. Yes, of course. Of course, the dating sites. And uh, that's yes. a whole nother story. Huh? It is. I, I have stories. For sure. Lots, lots of stuff. If you want to hear it, you let me know. Well, you're still young and beautiful, and uh, who knows what the future holds. We know who holds <laughs> well, the future. <laughs> right, so, right. So exactly. How did, you, how did you balance grief with caregiving? Um, you know, the five, did you go through the normal five stages of grief? You know, the denial and the anger and the uh, depression and, and the bargaining and uh, the acceptance and all, how long did it take you? Cause you, you suffered devastating loss and um, but yet you had a great gift that was given to you. Most people don't have that gift of six weeks of just quality, quality life. You know, some people uh, can't even live six years in happiness. And, and yet, you know, uh, plus how many years were you married before that happened? 29. Oh, so you're married a long time. And I assume they were all wonderful years. Well, I don't know. The first couple were a little sketchy, but after <laughs> that, it got pretty good. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about grief. Uh, how did you handle it? And what advice do you have for others going through it? Really, grief started for me when he was diagnosed mm, because we knew yeah. the, the outcome. We knew what was going to happen. We just didn't know when. So there was no hope and at so, all. He had that kind of a cancer. Right. Let alone right. a miracle. Yep. Right. Exactly. But it was that far gone. It was all through his body. It was everywhere. There's no going backward and on the anything. The doctors couldn't find it. No. I mean, not until he went into the ER that one morning. Uh, before that, they just thought he had, you know, an upset stomach. Is that unusual? And I mean, you were going to specialists too, weren't you? Well, right. When he went to the specialist, the day that he went to the specialist, the next day I was having a hysterectomy, best surgery I've ever had, by the way. I, that was a good one. Really? And um, a colonoscopy at the same time, because the kind of breast cancer I have uh, had hormone receptors, thus the, the hysterectomy, but also uh, colon cancer is very common with the kind of, kind of breast cancer I had. Wow. So I was doing the... The, uh, you were just getting rid of all of your risks, out. weren't you? <laughs> right, right, right. So I was busy doing the Miralax clean out that day and could not be very far from a bathroom the day that he went to see the specialist. And I was the one with the mouth. 
So I would have been asking all these questions and whatever. And so he came home and I, before he left, I'm saying, you better ask him and, and don't forget to ask him this and don't forget. Well, he got there and he saw a PA because the doctor that is supposed to see wasn't in and got the same thing, take some Rolaids. And I was so mad because I wasn't there with him because the timing was off. And, and we had already waited from November to January for him to get an appointment. And so, so anyway, so it was a week, a week to the day later than that I told him to go to the ER. So the poor guy drove himself to the ER and, uh, and then was a rule follower. So it said no cell phones in the emergency room. So I'm trying to call him. And of course, his cell phone yeah, he is needed off. you. But I hope you don't blame <laughs> yeah, and, yourself and have the guilt and all that. Yeah, well, you know, even had it been discovered sooner, the prognosis wouldn't have changed because it was so, so far gone already. But, right. Well, everything but, happens for a reason and some things we yes. don't understand and we never will this side of heaven. So, mm -hmm. so how did so you turn true. all that grief into something productive? How did you get through it? Because you can't eliminate the grief. You got to go through the grief, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and and like think? I said, it started before, it's, it started when he was diagnosed. There, there'd be times that we were just home, you know, just together and I would just start crying. And he would just hold me. And he, he would say, don't cry for me. I, I know what's going on with me, you know, cry for yourself. Don't cry for me. And uh, so, so the process started then. One thing I never could do was be angry at him. I, I just couldn't begrudge him. He was such a great guy. He was faithful and true and people liked him. And he was um, a good boss and a good dad and, he was just a great guy and heaven's pretty cool. And to go to heaven when you're 51 and now you have to worry about paying another bill or having pain or, you know, all the good things that are supposed to go along with heaven. I just couldn't begrudge him. Like I was like, go you baby, go you. And uh, sad for me, but unhappy for him. And so I went through the stages in a unique way, I think, um, because I still had to deal with my own cancer. So I wasn't over that part yet. And it's not so easy. I think it's a whole different ballgame when you're dealing with grief, when that's all you're doing is dealing with grief, uh -huh. when you don't have some heavy other thing going on at the same time. And so I... Uh, I don't know. In, in some ways, I didn't deal um, for, for quite a while, even though I thought I, I had. Uh, I kind of had to go backwards on some mm -hmm. things. But, yeah, I, I, knew, that, I knew that I that I was – I've seen so many people who lose somebody and are afraid to laugh again. And, and it's almost like they think it's dishonoring somehow to the person that left. Like they need to grieve harder somehow or they're not showing the right respect. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be forever wearing black and a black veil on my head and a black cloud over my head. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to live life. I couldn't turn anything around. I couldn't change anything. There's nothing I could do about it. So as soon as I was able, I just wanted to embrace life and do whatever I could to contribute to the world. Wow. So um, we're almost out of time. So can we just talk about uh, your book? Did you know you were writing a book when you started journaling or whatever it is you were doing? Or were you just... No. Venting. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I recommend but everybody before, do that because that could become a book, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it, it was those writings that became Cry Until You Laugh is the name of the book. And I think that's what you need to do is cry until you laugh. And so that's my story and then my story with my husband. And, you know, I, I wrote for about a year. So during that whole time. And then, uh, but then I questioned love and the true meaning of love. And so I decided to devote an entire year to figure out the real meaning of love because there is no love for dummies at the bookstore. I've looked and there's not one. And so I wanted to know what it really is. And so I took a 2000 year old poem, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, et cetera. And I took it one word at a time to figure out what is love that is patient, what is love that is kind. And it blew my mind. Like, Everything that I thought was not what it was. Every word, when you put love is, love is not in front of it, changes the whole meaning of the word. And most of the time I was in Haiti as I was working on it and writing the book, writing about it as I was going. Yeah, that is true. Just substitute your name for the word uh, love. David is patient. David is kind. David does not envy or David does not boast. (laughs) It really hits home. Um, so tell me about your faith real fast, you, the faith of you and your husband and how that got you through, what you, got, what you had to get through. Yeah, it definitely got us through. We were both raised Catholic. And then my husband, uh, before I met him, started going to these charismatic Catholic prayer meetings. Uh-huh. And after we were married in the Catholic Church, we started going to an Assembly of God church and learned so much. Yeah the greatest pastor, Wayne Benson, it was amazing and just learned so much. And uh, so my husband's faith, he never looked back. He like ran yeah. toward God. He chased God his whole life. And so faith, I, I don't know what people do without faith. Yeah. I don't know. what yeah, the same do. story. I was raised Catholic and met my wife. We kind of met the Lord together and started going to assembly of God and here we are, still still here after 47 years. Yeah. So how can someone Funny. buy your book, books? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're on Amazon. They're on any major bookseller or any bookseller online. They're in brick-and-mortar stores. They're at Barnes & Noble and different places. Um, Cry Until You Laugh. And then the, the one on love is just called Love Is. And uh, they're available through my website, kimsorrell.com. Um, they're available all over. You, you can find it. Great. It's so great having you on. And you were a great guest and learned a lot. And uh, just a reminder to everyone that all our shows become recorded podcasts and video casts on our platforms that I mentioned earlier, you know, like YouTube, blog, talk radio, and so on. And don't forget to check out my membership website, caregiverdave.com. It's a free membership support community, lots of tools and resources, lots of gifts, um, please click the like button below on whatever you happen to be watching this on because it helps uh, the algorithms for Google so that more caregivers can, uh, you know, 
benefit from this. And again, thank you to all my listeners out there uh, all over the world for tuning in each and every week and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. Look for our podcast on your favorite platform or on caregiverdave.com. And one last uh, um, question for you, Kim, is uh, if someone had wanted to get a hold of you, you have a website or something like that? Yes, I do. Kim, KimSorrell.com. And my last name has way too many letters, but I am <laughs> literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled like my name in the world, in, in the entire world. Not many people could say that, I don't think. S-C-R-R-E-L-L, Two R's. E-L-L-E. Two R's, two E's, two L's. Yes. Oh, Lots wow. of letters. Yeah. Two R's, two E's, two L's. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would encourage you, uh, if you like to read, I'm right. I'm publishing my new book. It's in pre-sale right now, Secrets from the Hammock on Amazon. And it's, uh, well, I, I just lowered the price to 99 cents because we're doing a promotion. So if you'd be so kind enough to uh, pre-purchase the Kindle for 99 cents, And that'll help me get to number one. And you're going to get a great book on wisdom because there's no better time to have wisdom during these uncommon times. Everything gets released in May, Cinco de Mayo on May 5th. That's the day that I met my wife, actually. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Cinco de Mayo, I thought in California is a, is a fun holiday, you know, lots of Mexican food Mm -hmm. everywhere. So good. Good. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again. Yeah. That's and nice I time. definitely will buy it. And I Thank will you read so it. Much. And then after it comes that. out, I'll give you a review. Awesome. It was fun. Awesome. So, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 